Well, it was bound to happen sooner or later, but we missed a Tuesday. Oh, man. <laughs> so if you were looking for this on Wednesday morning, we're very, very sorry. But hopefully this will brighten your Thursday morning commute. <laughs> but <laughs> some good excuses, right? A very good reason for missing it, and that is that Penny Aubrey was born yesterday on Tuesday. And Dave got the call right as we were about to record. Yep. So he's not with us today, but nope. they're, uh, everyone there is doing great. So mm-hmm. we're super thankful. Mm-hmm. Well, back into Galatians. Uh, Galatians, get, getting into chapter 4 this time. Uh, so Mike, why don't you give us a recap? And then we will uh, get more specific with some points of application and some more explanation and all of that good stuff. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us again. The uh, chapter 4, 1 through 11 was the main portion of the sermon. But there's a real, like I said it in the intro of the sermon, there's a real, um, it's almost like a duplication of themes in chapter 3. Really verse like 21 down to the end of the chapter, there's this whole idea about being imprisoned under the law. Mm-hmm. And then being set free in Christ and being incorporated into Christ and, and all the, I mean, I don't just want to say all that. Like, I mean, that stuff's amazing. Right. And then there's a very similar, like I said, almost like a duplication where he talks about being a slave versus being a son. And then he talks about redemption again and then being incorporated um, into Christ. And so it's very similar. And so uh, the point I think that Paul was making here by having these two paragraphs back to back and the point that we made in the sermon was that. You know, there's kind of a little bit of a Jew-Gentile thing going on here, uh, whereas Paul is addressing those who want to be, quote-unquote, under the law, and who are also coming in, those guys are Jewish, who want to be under the law, and they're influencing the Gentile believers to go under the law with them. And so Paul's saying, hey, the, the Jewish law actually brought you under imprisonment, and if you're a Gentile, you are also under an imprisonment, a form of imprisonment. Uh, but that was the elementary principles of the world, or as he says in verse 8, the non-gods. Uh, and so basically what you've got going on here is a Jew-Gentile, both groups of people, which would include therefore all of humanity. Those are, that is like everybody, you're either Jewish or Gentile in the biblical understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is in a sense, quote unquote, under sin in one way or another, which this argument, by the way, is mirrored in uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, where he talks, he addresses both Jew and Gentile, and the whole world, he said, is found accountable. The whole world's mouths are stopped, it says, uh, before God. And so that's what's happening. And simultaneously, if everybody's, in a sense, guilty and accountable before God in a certain specific way, they're also made righteous or set free, redeemed in uh, the similar way, and in this case, the same way. Uh, and so he's arguing for a real unity in the church, not a division between Jewish style and Gentile Christians. And so that's really what's going on in this section. And so uh, one of the things I did not mention uh, on Sunday was, you know, there's probably a recapitulation uh, of the Exodus motif from the Old Testament. You mm-hmm. know, this idea of Israel being God's son, but they're enslaved. 
He comes and redeems them. He sets them free. He identifies them as his own. And then he puts his presence among them in the tabernacle slash eventually temple. Well, here you see both Jew and Gentile enslaved under sin, whether via the law or via idolatry. Christ comes in, rescues and redeems. He's faithful to his promises. Uh, he incorporates them into his very life. And then he puts his presence right, not, not this time in like a building, but mm-hmm. right in their very hearts. And so certainly mm-hmm. the story of the Bible is being recapitulated, but really fulfilled. Uh, everything that was happening in the Exodus story was actually pointing to this ultimate and final redemption that we find in Christ. And so yeah, that's really that. what's going on. Well, yeah, you see the, you know, slavery and then God's presence should you know, make your mind go to that right away. Exactly. Yep. And so like a little, little just side note here, you know, what's the significance of that? You know, what, what should that kind of do for us as opposed to just, um, you know, not just being like an Easter egg in the story, yeah. so to speak, mm-hmm. but like, what should that kind of make us think when we see those connections? Because as you get more and more familiar with the Bible, you just begin to see them, mm-hmm. the common ways that God has interacted with his people and, and things that he's done. Mm-hmm. How should that make us respond? I think in one way it would be a... It, it helps us interpret what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so um, the... Uh, you know, when you... To, to, to miss that, you mm-hmm. know, maybe someone would argue, well, then you should have said on Sunday morning. Fair enough. I received <laughs> that. Um, to miss that is uh, it could potentially lead you uh, on wrong paths. So, for example, right. um, a lot of conversation happens in this 4, 1 through 11 passage about adoption. He says it. You know, that he uses an illustration, there was an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the commentaries I read are getting into Greco, or excuse me, Greek versus Roman versus Jewish adoption ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all well and good. Mm-hmm. But Paul doesn't seem to match here. Because, so, for example, um, but he is under guardians until the date set by the father. That phrase, date set by the father, that doesn't really appear in any of the adoption, you know, stuff that we can find in Greco-Roman history. Mm. And so it's like, is Paul really borrowing strictly from the Greco-Roman idea, or is he being influenced by something else? And I think there's... So again, one of the primary influences of your New Testament, I would say the primary influence is the Old Testament. And and so Paul, in a sense, instead of trying to like pin down the exact Greco-Roman practice, we should be looking more broadly at the Old Testament idea of how God took these people who had been promised an inheritance. So in that sense, they were sons, Mm -hmm. but they were living as slaves and how he redeemed them and brought them to himself and eventually in the promised land. So I think that's the first thing is to say it really helps guide our interpretation. I think secondly, it's also an encouragement because we see the, the orchestrating hand of our Father as sovereign God, Mm -hmm. um, to see how these things find their fulfillment can let us know that there's a plan. Now, the the responsive reading, well, I guess maybe it wasn't a responsive reading because we didn't respond as a church, but that's last Sunday if you were there. If you were, you can go back and listen to it. It's actually one that Pastor Dave wrote, but it talks about the comfort that we can receive in our adversity, Mm -hmm. knowing that God has been working things according to a plan, and to see that, you know, this is how God worked historically with Israel and Egypt, and then to see then how that is being, you know, in a sense, applied and fulfilled in Jesus and in our own lives, I think can be encouraging. So I would say two things. It's not just an Easter egg. It helps shape our interpretation of the New Testament, and I think it can be greatly encouraging to see that God's been working this plan out for a long time. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, plus one more thing is you can go back to the Old Testament, then it can be relevant to you. (laughs) You can look at how the Israelites were acting in their redemption and be like, oh, we shouldn't act like that. Like they got redeemed and they were going back to Egypt. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what Paul says. That's how he applies it here. He's like, hey, don't go back to that. Why would you want to go back to Egypt? So anyway, there's, it makes the Old Testament more applicable. Yeah, it's a good way to accentuate the, um, like the similarities Mm -hmm. between us and them. Yep. You know? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just the differences, which are which are pretty obvious. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, you were going on. You were going to talk about those elementary so, principles. Well, yeah. Well, I didn't even finish the summary yet. Sorry, oh. the summary I was. You. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> the you know, so we talked about the Jew Gentile type thing. Everybody's under that. But then this passage specifically, we just highlighted slavery versus sonship, and so we talked about what the Jewish, excuse me, what the Gentile folks were slaved under. And so we might as well talk about that right now, because it is the elementary principles. It's in verse three, that you were, when you were children, you were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then in verse eight as well, you were, you served those who are by nature, not gods. So we made the comparison, like the slavery in both those verses, they were slaves to the elementary principles. Here it says in verse eight, they were slaves to non-gods. So there must be some type of parallel between the elementary principles of the world and the non-gods. And then in verse 9, he says, why do you want to go back and serve again the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So Mm. the slavery idea is to the non-gods and the elementary principles of the world. And so I'd mentioned in, I think, one of the services, or maybe it was all of my, sometimes I have a hard time remembering, I don't say exactly the same things, but... um, you know, just a little bit more conversation about the elementary principles. Uh, the elementary principles idea, uh, and this was stuff we didn't cover on Sunday, um, it basically is a ref- a, the word itself, like the, the, the bare bones of it, it means like a core principle, like elemental. It's like the very base idea of something, the, the mm-hmm. core. Yep. And so it could be used in reference to like learning the alphabet. <laughs> it's like the core of language. Um, it could be, it was used of a musical scale. Like here's the, here's the notes, you know, these are the ones that you can work with or propositions of geometry. So it basically referred to like the elementary or rudimentary, basic, fundamental, foundational elements of a thing, Mm -hmm. language, math, geometry in that sense, music. Actually, Hebrews five uses this word and talks about the elementary issues of our faith. And it's like, well, faith, repentance, good works. So Hebrews 5 talks about that. So there's a sense in which whatever Paul is getting at here with elementary principles, it has to do with like core elements of our world, um, of our desires maybe. And then as I said on Sunday, the the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods had kind of taken the elementary things of our world, like air uh, Mm -hmm. or wind, uh, the ocean, water, fire, um, I'm missing one, air, wind, fire, earth, you know, the ground, the elements of the, you know, the rocks, the gold, whatever, the precious metals, those things. Those are elemental experiences of being human, of our world, the nature, the natural world around us. And then there were other things about what it means to be human, like beauty and wisdom and love. And so that's kind of like, it kind of expanded this idea. Paul's obviously not talking about that first definition of just like some elementary right. core thing, mm-hmm. something bigger. But there's this like elementary experiences, foundational experiences of what it means to be human in this world that people give themselves to. And in that case, it was these 
they turn these things into gods. And that's where the connection with the non-gods came in. Like, mm-hmm. certainly there's some type of connection, like there's core principles that we deify, we give ourselves to them, and we serve that thing. That's kind of where we landed on that. But it kind of comes from that foundational idea of elemental things. One other use of it that we did not talk about in the sermon was in Colossians chapter 2, and there uh, it seems to be, I think it's Colossians 2.8, um, he uses it in a similar way, but it has to do with like powers, like spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of like brought some of those things together. It seems like Paul is talking about like spiritual forces that kind of govern and control our world. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we got to this idea of idolatry. And so it's like the issue of entertainment or education or technology. There's all these economics. There's these forces that play in the world that in many ways work against us as human beings and enslave us. And so, uh, yeah, that's what we're talking about, the elementary principles of the world. So, Mm. you know, kind of like put like real concrete things on that. It's like our... You know, the way we view and process the world, again, if if you're a Christian, it's, you know, it's hard to take that Christian hat off, but like what enslaves the world, like thinking about uh, how we view our lives and what it means to be human and what success is and all of those things, those things are like, in a sense, told to us and we embrace them Mm. and they kind of govern and guide us and and kind of enslave us. Mm. So. So what's the connection there with verse 10 where... He's talking about them observing the done days and months and seasons and years. And, and then he kind of caps this whole thing with his fear that he might have labored over them in vain. You mm-hmm. know? So certainly this is like a very significant course, you know, deviation that's going on here. And yeah. so, so how, you know, what, what's kind of the connection there? Months, days, seasons, years, and, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah, there's two two points of view. Again, hence Sermon Plus. I didn't even touch verse 10 in the sermon mm-hmm. on Sunday. Days, months, and seasons could be either following the Jewish festival calendar mm-hmm. that these Jewish leaders are persuading these Gentile Christians to go under. Which would make sense because of the whole Jew-Gentile mm-hmm. Jew, Some commentators, though, think it is um, the... Uh, pagan calendar. Right. Uh, Saturnalia and some of those, if you're familiar with that, that's you know where Christmas came from and, and other pagan festivals and holidays. I tend to think this is the Jewish leaders persuading slash forcing these Gentile Christians to come under the Jewish calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think that is. Um, and so, you know, he's basically saying, you guys want to become, you know, he's <laughs> basically saying the Gentiles, don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Right. You were slaves to these desires and these idolatrous forces in the world. I feel like I could do a better job with idolatrous forces. Like how influential is education and, and status and entertainment and sexuality, and all of those things that dominate our world, those are the non-God forces I'm really trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. So Paul's saying, don't jump out of that frying pan and into the fire of going under the law, because the law also cannot set you free. Right. And so, you know, don't, you know, don't trade, you know, one type of poison for another. Um, and then he says, I'm afraid that I've labored for you in vain. I really think what Paul is saying there is he's incredulous that you could taste the goodness of the Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Son, as he's called here, 
and then go back to those other things. He calls them weak and beggarly. Mm -hmm. The Greek word there is actually poor. They are incapable. Mm -hmm. It's like they're poor. They don't have the ability to bring blessing into your life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I think he's like, I don't actually think, I mean, he's, he's wondering for sure. I'm not saying he's saying they're not actually Christians, mm -hmm. but he's just like, how could you possibly trade? And so I think that's actually, it was challenging for me to think, man, is my experience of the Spirit so powerful and so wonderful that I wouldn't trade it for anything? Right. I think that's kind of what Paul's arguing there. Why, why would you do that? It would be in vain. You, you must not have tasted this because it's so good. Why would you go back? And that makes sense in light of that observation you were making where... You know, you give yourself to these things, these non-gods, you become enslaved to them, then even going beyond that, you begin to look like them, mm. and in the end of the day, you're banking on those things saving you. Right. And so I think that helps pull in some of those ideas. These aren't just, like, these are just common things that are in the air we breathe, these, you know, maybe idolatrous kind of ideas that do become just overemphasized. And, you know, if we don't have those proper safeguards, if we're not keeping in step with the Spirit, then we are going to give ourselves to them. Like, mm -hmm. we're going to bank <laughs> our hope in these things. Mm -hmm. um, Let me give an example of, like, what I mean. It kind of goes along with what you're saying there about how we give ourselves to these things. So there is a... You talk about this, the air we breathe. The air we breathe is that... We, we want to be happy. We need to be happy. Mm -hmm. If I have an internal desire, my feelings are ultimate and paramount, okay? That is kind of... Now, again, if you're listening to this, you're like, well, I don't think that. It's like, okay, <laughs> maybe you don't. But if you don't, it's probably because you've had some type of Christian influence in your life. Because the mantra for, for much of the Western world at this point is mm -hmm. be who you are express yourself and who you are. And so this is what I feel, and so therefore I have to express it. Hmm. And it's identity culture, it's identity politics, you know, all these type of things. That actually is enslaving, because if you have to express who you are, right. you have to be, quote-unquote, true to yourself, then that is a form of slavery where human freedom that God gave to us is the ability to push back against a desire that might be harmful to us. Right. That's actual freedom. Mm. And so this whole idea that I must be happy, I must express whatever is desire I'm feeling at the moment, that actually is a form of slavery. That's actually, when you look at it, that's instinctual living, that's subhuman behavior, that's animal behavior. Animals must act out their impulses. Right. Animals must act out their instincts because they're not truly free. And so when you come to Christ, you are actually free to push back on and to be changed and liberated from harmful desires that exist within your heart. So that's just an example of how, you know, a modern-day example of, like, I've got to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Like, those type of things can be very dangerous, and they actually can be forms of slavery. True freedom in Christ is the ability to discern what is a good and healthy and holy and beautiful desire, and then the freedom and power to actually live into that. Again, I said this a couple times. Freedom is not doing what we want or getting to do what we want. Mm -hmm. Freedom is living according to design. And so... Um, yeah, I think that's a good example of how giving yourself to a common um, elemental spirit of the day can actually be slavery. Hmm. 
And this is flowing out of the previous section um, where in verse 6 here, um, that we are sons. God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Mm. Spent some time talking about that on Sunday, that being a highly intimate, relational idea that's going on there. And then even linking that to Jesus, yeah. you know, saying that Jesus is the only one that called the Father this, and the only time we see him calling the Father this is on the cross when the Father is saying In no, the garden. Yeah. Or in the garden, mm-hmm. yeah. And so um, maybe let's talk a little bit more about that, you know, because I think that's probably something that would deeply resonate with people. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you would um, experience this intimacy with the Father, or at least like in your brain know that it's there mm. and then try to express it and, you know, what to do with all of those feelings when God says no, maybe to the thing you're asking, or he says, wait, or he says, you know, not that, but maybe this. Yeah. That's a complex question. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So to to finish the summary, we did the summary in in parts here, which is great. So I did the intro, we did the slavery (laughs) part, and now we're into the sonship part. Um, The ABBA thing was something new and fresh for me this week, which, I mean, even when I, if I look at quote-unquote old truths, I'm still renewed and refreshed by them. Mm-hmm. But when you see a new aspect of an element of the gospel that you'd been familiar with before but didn't see the full meaning of it, it's like, right. wow, mm-hmm. that was very encouraging. So yeah. Um, the only person that we know of that ever addressed God as Father, specifically as Father Abba, is mm-hmm. Jesus, as you just said. And he did it in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's asking for the... F- the cup of wrath to be removed if there's any other way. Mm-hmm. And obviously God the Father's answer is no, because Jesus ended up having to go through the cross and the suffering of all that. So I don't even know all of what that does for me, honestly, Dan. Right. <laughs> other than to know that Jesus did it with me. Like mm-hmm. when I am in a moment of great suffering or I feel a heavy burden, I don't always just like need an answer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might just want someone with me who's been through it before. And I think that's kind of what I got out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is another way that Jesus has very deeply identified with me. Right. He was in a moment of... Um, I, I don't even know all the emotions. I don't, I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if it was ang- like anxiety. Like, I'm not exactly sure, but he he definitely was like looking forward about to what was happening. And he was like, There was emotions, you know what I mean? Complex Mm -hmm. emotions. And I think, like, you know, for those of you who may be listening, it's like, yeah, there's certain things in your life. The the emotional response is so complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, But just to know that you have the affection of God as your father, as your Abba, and the access to be able to talk to him about it. And then I did mention, like, you do see the father has good plans in the end. Yes, the suffering is intense, and it is you know, brutal kind of, and, and we experience that. But in the end, you know, we, we do see resurrection. We do see ascension. We do see exaltation. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Christ and God is your Abba, then eventually that's coming, mm-hmm. you know, and so we can, we can be sustained. So I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Jesus is, like, incarnate. I think it has a lot to do that Jesus feels more present to me, mm-hmm. that God, as my Father, feels more present to me. And he's just with me. And I, I think the older I get, 
you know, there's just some things that I find more and more there aren't answers, but the fact that I have God as my Abba is really, really encouraging. I think it makes uh, very vivid, you know, the concept, you know, from the first century all the way to today, people have been coming to Jesus um, for the reason that Jesus might give them something, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and whether or not they even realize it or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, something like this really illustrates, I think, in a pretty powerful way that, you know, the presence of God is all that we actually need. I mean, you Ooh, were even making this point. That's good. You know, what else, what else would you really want, even on, mm-hmm. on Sunday? And... You know, I think in the even in the garden there, you know, as Jesus is making the request, he's making the request to the Father, even though the request does come up or the answer does come up no there, he still has the presence. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the day, it's really pressing that question down, you know, is the presence of God and the fact that I know him, and then as we see in this Galatians passage, that he knows us or we're known by him. Oh, that's good too. Yeah. Um, is that actually enough? Mm. Because I, you know, I think when things are pretty easy, it's um, you're more likely to say, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not following God for the things that He gives me," because you probably have the, all the things that <laughs> you would be asking Him to give you. Yeah. Um, but then when those things are taken away, you know, and, mm. and you see this example all throughout the scriptures, you see it just even in history, you probably know this to be true of people that you know Mm. that have gone through suffering, you know, is the presence of God actually enough? And, you know, that has like kind of superficial levels, like he didn't give me the raise or the promotion, but it also has like really deep core levels, like, you know, sparing me from death and those types Mm -hmm. of things. And so... Uh, that's kind of where my mind was thinking when you were talking through yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I hope that, you know, obviously with, uh, you know, the various numbers of people that are hearing the sermons here at New City, you know, some people might be in that. They might feel like they're in that garden experience at the moment, and Definitely. other people may not feel that way. I hope it's preparatory. If you're not in that garden right now, like to, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the reasons I think Jesus even, like, allows us into that. What a What a moment, uh, like a very intimate moment that was, and to right. make that available for us is, I think, a gift for us to receive and say, this Jesus walked through this very dark, deep road and um, still was able to call God Abba, and mm. we can do the same thing. And I would even say, we don't actually ever have to walk the road Jesus walked because right. he, did it. he did it for us, you know what I mean? So there's a, there's a sense in which whatever we're going through um, is not quite as deep and as dark as what our Savior walked through on our behalf. So, mm. um, but yeah, so that that was a really uh, powerful for me, encouraging. And like I said in the sermon, even in just the few days I've uh, studied that, and in the few days since, um, uh, it's it's been a little bit of a change in my prayer language with the Lord, which has mm. been good. Um, yep. You know, like I'm, I want to keep growing, I want to keep experiencing more of the richness of what it means to be a son. Uh, and to be a son means to have uh, God as my Abba, because it's so, one of the things I said, Jesus's spirit is so present with me. He's actually crying out through my spirit, which was mm. also profound that Jesus is so present with me that I'm using the same language for God as my father as he does. Mm. So Yeah, that's good. 
So where are we going to go from here? Yeah, uh, we're going to so spring off of. We're going to take a little here. bit of a break from Galatians, just for a couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, but kind of, it's in verse ten. He says, "You observe days, months, and seasons." Sometimes Paul had no problem with that. Right. So in Romans fourteen and fifteen. Um, Paul says some people, some of you regard certain days as unto the Lord, and others of you don't, and it's totally fine. Right. Whereas when he says in here, he's like, "You're doing that in such a way that I'm, I'm concerned that this, right. this Maybe hasn't worked I'm at all. Working for nothing, yeah. working for nothing." And so, one of um, the concerns is Dave and I have worked through some of these things. What we want for the church, we've talked a lot about the big theme of Galatians being about being one in Christ. We're all one in Christ. There's not male or female, Jew or Greek, all that kind of thing. Mm. But we've kind of been saying it, and I and I, you know, I think lots of us believe it and are on board with it. But we want to get like a more practical, a little bit more nitty gritty. And mm-hmm. so Romans fourteen and fifteen has some really incredible principles about how to work it out. Between there, it's between Jews and Gentiles, right. and so it's like even though there is no Jew or Greek. Paul is saying that kind of in the ultimate transcendent sense. Yes, we're all one in Christ, but what does that actually look like when you're going to church on Sunday, which mm-hmm. that might even be a question, why right. are we going on Sunday between Jews and Greeks? And then how do you get along between Jews and Greeks? Or is really the Jesus thing for Jewish people, really? Is there right. two brands of it? You know, like that type of thing. And so... An insider, hot, an outsider, yeah. Uh, right. Insider, outsiders, first rank, second rank, things like that. First rank... Christian, second rank, uh, I should say it this way, second class citizens, maybe we would say, of the kingdom, like all that stuff. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. And so Romans, I don't know if a lot of people know, is is a huge letter about church unity, really. It has some of the deepest, most extensive theology from Paul, and it's fitting that it would have one of the longest chapters on application of that unity, which is what Romans 14 and 15 is. And so we're going to look at you know, what do you do if you're at a Christian gathering in the first century and, you know, you're having a meal together and you are got Jews and Gentiles? What do you eat? Mm-hmm. Like something super practical <laughs> like that. You know, what do you do when Christians disagree on, on how you address certain issues of the day uh, in regard to, you know, whatever it might be? How, how do you treat, you know, uh, oh, man, so, I, don't, I don't even want to say what issues yet. Right. But there's about three or four different issues in my mind that we're, we'll be working through and then how do Christians get along with true unity, even though the end hasn't come yet? So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be an exciting time, a uh, helpful time for us to get real practical and nitty-gritty about how to live together in unity when we actually think differently on some important issues to us, but they're not the primary issues. Mm. Well, yep, that sounds great. Uh, read through those passages, Romans 14 and 15. If you get a chance prior to Sunday, that'll help you. Uh, be in that context, mm-hmm. be in that in that mind frame. Um, all right, that's it. I think all we're right. wrapping up for the week here. So we will look forward to seeing you next week, or at least talking to you next week, probably not seeing you. Mm-hmm. Um, but thanks for listening, and we pray that this is helpful for you.